Hello, everybody, and welcome into Upon Further Review, the Dallas Morning News and Sports Day DFWs Cowboys podcast. Evan, we're not on an FM station here. I show a little life. Shut up, Cookie Monster. <laughs> Barry Horn, the Cookie Monster, is here. What kind of cookies do you have this morning, Barry? I have Chips Ahoy, and the I'm not worst, sharing. The worst chocolate chip cookies ever. And the bearded Kevin Sherrington is here. What do you got this morning? I got no cookies, that's for sure. No, no, you don't have any cookies. And David, are you there? I am here. David I am here. here. Fresh off a ranch report, he's now going to do, he's going to step down a little bit and talk Cowboys with us. It's not a step down. But, but, you, but I will say, I'm still waiting to be paid for last week's podcast. And so are we. <laughs> it's co- a check is in the mail. I believe we're on about episode 48, and we're still waiting for, for our first check. But David, you do get our laurel and hearty handshake for for this approval for this oh, appearance. Always welcome. And of course, so we never see each other, but go ahead. We're all in a cheery mood now because Tony is back. Everything is everything's okay now, right? Everything's fine. Just a little bump in the road. I, I think now uh, this this thing will smooth out. Absolutely. Okay, that's that. Well, that's thanks, that. David. Thanks for coming, and we'll see you next week. All right, the nine and seven Cowboys will go all the way. Wait, wait a minute, but Dave, hey, you, you talked this morning. You talked this morning on the Musers about Dez and his performance last week, and you brought up the the whole idea that a guy misses as much time as Dez did, and he doesn't come back and and go right into midseason performance. Should people no, not I- expect the same out of the quarterback? Oh, I, I don't think so, uh, especially when you look at he hasn't thrown a pass in, in two months. Now you're going to ask him to play two games in five days. Go back to last year when he was arguably at the, at the peak of his career as far as performance, and, and he is 14-2 and two as a starter in his last 16 games. His worst game in that 16-game stretch was on Thanksgiving Day when he came back on five days rest and wasn't allowed to follow the same pattern leading up to the game that he did for the rest of the season so i think one coming off of a significant injury and two given the routine that his he's been able to succeed in in the last year and a half coming back off the the consecutive back surgeries having that truncated and altered going into the thanksgiving day game is completely unrealistic oh truncated okay truncated no concave I have a concave chest, but I don't know. <laughs> oh, too bad we don't have any video. Yeah, <laughs> I, I think it's. I, I think we can all concede that Tony Romo will not be Tony Romo this first game back, but n- neither will he be Matt Castle nor uh, Brandon Wheaton. And I think that to me that is the real issue here is that you're upgrading at quarterback, uh, no matter what shape Tony Romo is in, and this team in in, uh, in these seven losses, six of them, they were close enough in the fourth quarter, that you could think if Tony Romo were here, there's a good possibility he could, he could bring this one out. Well, Tony Romo has the best fourth quarter quarterback rating of any quarterback in the NFL. That is, any quarterback in the NFL. He is the best as far as uh, quarterback rating in the fourth quarter. You will see this team in, the, in his last 16 games with him averaged 30 points. In the eight games he did not start, they averaged 17 now, even if he's not at peak form and you're not getting those 13 more points a game, it's still realistic to expect more. And I think there's a, a consistency aspect of this offense that, that you'll see that has been missing here lately. Um, you know, Cole Beasley, here's a guy who disappeared, didn't catch, a, catch, didn't catch a ball for two games, comes back with a nine-catch, you know, nine 120-yard 
uh, two-touchdown performance uh, against the Eagles and then comes back against Tampa Bay with one catch for eight yards. Do you, you have Gavin Escobar, who didn't catch a ball for six weeks until last week, who caught two passes a game with, with uh, Tony Romo. You had, uh, you know, you had Terrence Williams, who's been largely uh, lost in the offense for prolonged periods, who I think is going to be brought back into the offense. So I think these other weapons that have gone missing during this stretch are going to play a more consistent role in the offense. Plus, you, you look at Des Bryant, and, and I, I believe in that game last week when he said, all right, I'm going down, and I'm thinking we're going to go deeper with this pass than Tony. It surprises him. I think that was one of the reasons, you know, there's no excuse for dropping that ball. I mean, it's, it's right in his chest. Matt Castle did it, everything he was supposed to do. The third down pass you're talking about. Yes. Yeah, yeah the third he, one. He, yeah. He's doing everything he's supposed to do on that play. You can't blame Matt Castle. That, that was Des's fault. But – it, it, the fact is, is that Dez was clearly not comfortable with Matt Castle as his quarterback, and he is a, a great comfort factor with Romo. David, where was David? Where was the running game against Tampa Bay? Well, that go that goes back to the consistency as well. Since uh, since Darren McFadden, uh, you know, took the job, assumed the job with that 152 yards against the New York Giants, he's followed that up with games of 64 yards rushing, 117 yards rushing. And then 32 yards rushing. Uh, you're having that lack of consistency because defenses are saying, "Look, this this Dallas offense is, is pretty minimal, is pretty compromised. What do we want to take away?" Tampa Bay said, "Look, let's take away the run game because I don't think they can beat us, you know, through the air." And, and that proved to be the case. Uh, that being said, you know, I think they had more eight men in the boxes. They they, they did some run blitzes uh, that normally they don't do. That being said, that Darren McFadden didn't look as decisive in running and uh, as he had in those previous three games to me. So we'll see how this plays out, but uh, he, he's going to have to be a, a big part of this going forward. And, and if you get some sort of uh, of stretch uh, in your defense by being by vertically being able to go down and taking those routes when they're open, uh, I think McFadden should be much better. That was the thing that really amazed me about the offensive performance on Sunday was after watching, as you mentioned, the week before, Beasley get featured with Dez back in the lineup and, and he, he proved to be a very effective weapon. It was like they didn't even look for him. I don't I don't even know what that his snap count was very significant because I every time I looked for him on the field, he didn't seem to be on the field. You know, they were trying to run, so in some of those runs he's not out there, but uh he he was out there, and, and they just couldn't find him. And, you know, to me, this goes back to the New England game uh, where they where they got only scored six points as well. And New England made a concerted effort to say, now this is before Dez comes back, but they said, look, we're going to double Jason Witten, give him bracket coverage over the top with a safety, and we're going to double Cole Beasley. And if we take those two elements away, there's no one who can beat this defense consistently. So – so Cole Beasley started getting more attention when Des Bryant wasn't out there because it was clear, well, if we take him away, they can't move the change, they can't control it, and they can't take enough shots downfield uh, to make us pay for it. So this is how we're going to beat them. And, and, and you saw it again. I think they made a concerted effort on Beasley. He got a little more double coverage. And again, he was able to. And to me, this speaks to Des Bryant not being back physically to where he where everyone is comfortable with him being the Pro Bowl level. And I'm not sure you're going to see him there this year, given the significant injury he came off of. 
But does anyone really believe if Des Bryant was back to his all-pro form that a team could put a player of the level of Sterling Moore on him in single coverage all game and win that matchup? Wasn't that an indictment? Sterling Moore. My gosh, I couldn't believe that. But, and, and how many times did they target? Now, he was, Moore was not on him on the play in the end zone at the end of the game. But, but how often would you say that Moore uh, was on him, and how often did the, did the uh, Cowboys target him when he was? Well, you know, they, and, well, here's the other thing. They targeted Dez 12 times. They threw to him 12 times. He only caught, what, four balls for 45 yards, five balls for 45 yards, excuse me. So they kept going to Dez. Uh, they just weren't able to connect on it. And part of the reason they kept going to death was because they felt they could win the matchup against Sterling Moore, a nickel corner for Dallas that was released in the offseason and, and now started on the outside in this game and shut down a Pro Bowl receiver. Uh, to me, this shows that physically, Des Bryant is not back uh, to where everyone expects him to be. And I think it's unrealistic coming off that the, the bone bone break that he had in his foot, I think it's unrealistic to expect he will be back at peak form at any time this season. I think he'll have games where he flashes it, uh, like he did the Philadelphia game, but I don't know if he's going to be able to sustain it because this was a significant injury. And I would even argue on that interception in the end zone at the end, I would say that went into that play. Um, now, I know he believes, he says he stopped a bit because of pass interference. He believes he was interfered with. But what does everyone say about Dez Bryant beyond the fact that he's an outstanding receiver is that if he doesn't catch the ball, he doesn't allow the defender to intercept the ball. Jason Garrett talks about it, Scott Linehan, the other players. They all say you throw a a contested ball up to Dez Bryant. The reason they're so comfortable doing it is is because he's so physical, so competitive, so combative, if he can't make the catch, he'll make sure the defender doesn't make the catch. Well, he didn't do that in that situation. And to me, I think that speaks to physically he's not right. And two, and two, when you're not right physically, I think there's a bit of mental fatigue that sets in. And maybe you stop or, or don't go all out on a play the way you normally would. And I think you saw both of those factors on that interception in the end zone. So speaking of guys being uh, physically right – uh, Rolando McLean looked to be playing a little bit better last week. What what was the the final take on his performance? Yeah, which is clearly his best performance so far this season. Uh, you, you saw him hit people the way you saw him last year. Uh, you saw him deliver blows, kind of set a phys- physical tone for that defense that he had not been setting uh, in in his first three games back. Jason Garrett makes a point of saying, you know, this guy didn't do anything in the off-season program, didn't do anything in training camp, really didn't start practicing until a couple of weeks before he came back uh, in that New England game. So the argument is that basically, physically, right now he has just finished training camp and is entering what you would hope he would be physically going into a season. So I think you saw signs of that last week, that he's finally got himself back into football shape. Now, Now you get into the question, well, look, isn't it incumbent on him to be ready when he comes back? Shouldn't he have been in better shape? Yes. I think you can certainly make that argument, and my answer would be yes, just like Kevin's was. But uh, that is where we are on that. I think now they feel that he has finally played his way back into shape where he can perform at the level that we saw for the majority of last season. All right, now we move into a weekly segment we like to call, What the Hell is Greg Hardy Doing? Um <laughs> 
So let me ask you this, David. What kind of leader is it that misses team meetings one week, that is out of all team activities basically for a morning the, the, a previous week? What kind of leadership example is being set there? It is a leader by talent and nothing else. He is the most talented defensive player on the team right now. So in Jerry's mind, he's a leader by default. Even if you don't have the temperamental makeup or the Even if you don't uh, have character the or willingness players. to do it. Yeah, any elite player by default on a football team is a leader to some extent. Okay, so let me ask you this. Now that Evan asked a, a not the best question, I'll ask the best question about it. <laughs> what kind of game did he have? This game? Yeah. Average. Average. That, so he wasn't a leader on the field then either. Well, I don't know. I, I would argue this defense hadn't been much more than average all year. But, yeah, I, I see what you're saying. In this game, in this case, no. And, and these, it's interesting, the last two weeks where most uh, – has, has, a lot of things have, have come up uh, about Greg Hardy in these last two weeks have been his two worst performances since he's come back. He made an immediate impact, followed that up, and now I think people are sitting here and saying, oh, okay, well, this guy, just what is he doing now? And, I, I, you know, whether that, is, whether that is a function of these issues off the field bothering him and impacting his play or whether it's the fact that now that he's back and he showed he can perform, he's getting extra attention, which should open up uh, avenues for the defensive linemen around him who I would argue have not fully taken opportunity of that yet. Uh, it's, it's a little early to see. We'll see how it plays out. But it was interesting after the Philadelphia game. Uh, clearly, Greg Hardy is is a marked man for a lot of reasons the rest of the way this season. And, and after that game, when you had Philadelphia players talking about, oh, well, the thing with Greg Hardy is when things don't go his way, he, you see he doesn't play as hard. He shuts it down. Uh, that's something to watch for for the remainder of the season. Now, uh, we, let's move back into the secondary where we, we've seen, in, in my mind, in that game, now, I know that, that uh, Mike Evans kind of ate up Mo Claiborne. But, but look, Mike Evans is going to eat up a lot of cornerbacks that are you know five inches shorter than him. Uh, and it seemed to me that uh, the better matchup would have been Brandon Carr. Why, why, why would they have not gone with a bigger, more physical receiver against Mike Evans instead of putting poor Mo, Mo Claiborne over there? It seems to me the better matchup would have been Carr more often and also rotating and switching up your coverages and making him adjust to going against different matchups, which is something Dallas does not do. Uh, you know, they don't blitz a lot to get pressure on the quarterback, although they did blitz a little bit more in this game than they normally do. Uh, they're a pretty straight-up defense, which is, look, this is what we do. If you do it to your peak ability, you're going to win this matchup and we're going to win as a defense. They don't do a lot of switching up. They don't do a lot of exotics. They don't do a lot of, okay, you follow this guy all over the field and we'll adjust our defense. They keep them all in their spots, all in their zones, and just say, excel. And you haven't seen them excel enough, consistently enough, over the course of the season to, to come up with these plays. I, I'm like you. It's and it's interesting, let's put this in the context of, okay, you know that's the only thing that Tampa Bay can do in the passing game is get the ball to Mike Evans. At least it's the only thing they can do consistently enough that's going to hurt you and could put you in a position uh, to, to give up some big plays. So why don't you set everything about your defense as far as taking that away? 
So why is the defense able to take away Des Bryant for the Cowboys, but the Cowboys are unable to take away Mike Evans for Tampa Bay? If it, David, if it's so obvious, and you have Rod Marinelli running the defense, if it's obvious to David Moore, why is that not obvious to Rod Marinelli? I think that once a coach has his scheme and has success with it, uh, there is a stubborn insistence on this is the way you do it. I think that's a question for why this game team has lost seven consecutive games. Um, I don't know that you can coach this team and ask this team to do the exact same thing that it did last season when it lost all of these key personnel uh, skill positions offensively. When defensively, you had Rolando McClain, who wasn't in football shape. When you had um, Greg Hardy, who you just drop in four games into the season. But they are so... Uh, insistent on this system works, this will bring out the best in you. We're just going to keep doing this over and over and over until you get it, and then we're really going to be good. Um, I, I don't know that they adjusted enough on the fly during this losing streak to put the players in the best positions to excel because you get the sense that, well, you can't compromise your system to that extent because then you have players questioning your system uh, the system and the belief in that system and what we do is what's going to win over the long term, over the long haul. I believe that, but what about the short term? And we're looking at a seven-game stretch here. I mean, let's, let's face it. Let's go back to what everyone was saying going into the stretch. If you won just two, if you went just two and five, well, Tony Romo was out. That was considered the bare minimum and really, I think, a realistic expectation. Uh, you could have argued three. You could have had three wins. Some would argue four. But uh, a minimal realistic expectation in my mind was to go two and five. If this team had gone two and five, they would be half a game out of the division lead right now. And if one of those two wins was against either New York or Philly in the rematch, they would have had all the tiebreakers in the division and be sitting in, in outstanding shape with Romo coming back. I, I just want to point something out. I, I did some actually did some research coming in, in today. You know, the, the Giants... Is, is this the first, the, the New York football Giants have lost three games, three games in the last 30 seconds. So what if they had won those three games? So, you know, this, this, when, this, this what if, plays this, this hypothesis well, thing. You, 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 you guys, what if? Right you guys are what if, what if, what if. But how about the Giants lost three games in the last 30 seconds? But the so point what if they is, had that's not the point. When you play this game, no, you always play the it point so is not, well, The point is not if, if this had gone right or that had gone right. The point is the Cowboys did nothing. With the voice of reason. In Tony Romo's absence. With the voice of reason, Evan Grant. To make themselves... <laughs> be thought of what? as any caliber of playoff type team. Right, exactly. So I don't want to hear what if because the what ifs don't matter, Kevin. The what ifs do matter because it's look, it's just it's people like you who think, oh, they lost all these games. They but did. They were, oh, oh, they did. Check lose the all standings. These. They lost the games. But they were they were. It wasn't like they. It wasn't the, the players didn't quit. The defense didn't quit. They were right there at the end of games. There's a big difference between that because that's how you. But make they the, lost. That's how you make decisions about the rest no, of the season. They lost. Are based on where you how your team is playing. It's about the rest of the season are. because they have they have zero margin for error. That's they right. They have to run the table for the last seven games. That is correct. I don't think they're going to do that. But the point is, is that, you don't think? <laughs> yeah. The the point. <laughs> There's the, no way. But no. there are people who do think that. 
Well, maybe there. I don't know. But the, the point in the is, locker room, it, maybe. it does matter how the team played up to this point because it helps you to make decisions on what you're going to do going forward. If you were getting blown out in these seven games, then you'd be making completely different decisions about it. You'd be making different decisions uh, about you it. know. It, it, let it, me it, ask you this, David. Hand David, let Evan's me ask speech. you this. What real, if? Real, real quick, real quick, I, because I rarely agree with Kevin. I think he makes <laughs> a great point there. Oh, cut, because, cut, cut, cut. Okay. Let's start over. Go ahead. <laughs> What is because, the great point? Because I was just about to ask you, what if Kevin or Barry ever made any sense? What then? What what would be the what right, if? Let's there? move. On. Well, it just happened. Let him it make his point. Go, go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> that let's say now this season plays out. That does everyone agree that let's say four and three, the rest of the way is a realistic expectation for this team. Yes. Yes. Everyone so agree, Kevin. Yes. Realistic. Yes. Yes. Barry? We all agree. David, okay. I'm with you. Okay, that's six and ten. Now, at the end of the season, are Jerry and Stephen Jones and Jason Garrett going to sit there and say, we were six and ten, we're not competitive? Are they going to sit there and say, we were six and three with Tony Romo starting, we lost five games in the final minute or in overtime without him on our third quarterback, our, you know, our second receiver is our primary receiver and our second starting running back. You're right. And say, look, we have a young team. A young team with a 34-year-old well quarterback and a bad back. back. Well, exactly. Are they, are they going to say, look, we got to blow this thing up. We were competitive. Are they going to say, look, we've got to get a backup quarterback in here who can win, and we've got to get a running back we can rely on. If we have a solid backup quarterback to protect ourselves there, if we have a, a, a first or second round running talent to plug in and move forward, would this happen to us again? And I can guarantee you they're going to say, no, I don't think so, because this team was so competitive without those other elements. If we just plug that in. Well, we've already been over this. Jerry is the king of rationalization. He's going to look at the sure. end of the season and say, we're one player away. He's done that for the last 17 years, has he not? Well, he did it this year with Greg Hardy. Will Hardy will Hardy be back next year, or will there be two players away, David? I believe it depends. I, I still truthfully believe it depends on how this season plays out. If he has an impact the rest of the way, if uh, these issues uh, don't continue to crop up off the field uh, and how he handles them, which is a big reason. People are saying, why does the media keep this going? The media is not keeping this going. Greg Hardy is keeping this going. But uh, if you if you see him buy into what they're doing here and he plays very well the rest of the way, I don't think it's out of the question that he'll be back. I, at this at this moment, I would say it's unlikely, but it's not out of the question. David, before we end this thing, you know, and I don't know if you're aware of this, but but Barry and Cole Beasley had a big Twitter fight on Sunday night. What is this team's issue with social media? Why are they so bad at handling social media? It's, it's perplexing because social media, the, the whole point of it for a player is to present yourself exactly the way you want to present yourself, to enhance your brand, to get across what it is you want to get across. And I'm just amazed that these guys are drawn into situations where they show their worst side rather than their best because they have control and they're giving up control of it. And that this is a, clearly it's a very sensitive wide receiver core. Uh, 
you know, you had you had Cole in there. You obviously the issues with Dez are, are, are well known. You had Terrence Williams after a game earlier this year sent out a profane tweet, and he had to be doing it before, probably during the post game talk from Jason Garrett because the tweet went out before Garrett even walked from the locker room to the podium in the next room. I, to address I, the media. I have no problem with Cole Beasley disagreeing with me, and all I said was he's not as great a player as, as Whitney yeah. or, 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 or Bryant. That's Although not the Patriots seem to disagree I with was, you. I was stunned that when I looked down and it came 10 it's minutes, the timeline. Tw- 12 yeah. minutes it's after the, the game. It's, it's the timeline. I, and, and again, I just I, I think that I, I think it's there's nothing for the player to gain there. You know, it's not like you made a there, – there's certain times when fans – um, are very mean spirited towards players. You know, there there have been any number of cases where fans say, "Hey, die! Uh, I hope something really bad happens to you." You simply said, "Hey, let's tap the brakes on on John Lynch saying that he's a talent alongside uh, Terrence Williams and and and, and Des Bryant." Because Kevin Sherrington wasn't there with me, I misspelled breaks. Let's get that out in the office. That's true. I, I, I'm his personal editor. And why why do you have a player at UT tweeting? at halftime of a game that he should have gone to OU. Absolutely. Well, I think a lot of this, too. Let, let's, not, let's keep that in mind. It, it, look, we're all, you know, 50-plus here. I'm being generous, I think. Uh, so I'm barely 50. One, one of us is 60-plus. <laughs> uh, but but you, and social media doesn't well, mean me. quite to us what it does to people in their in their 20s and in, in their in their teens. And I think that's the issue here. Some of these people, it's it's like, you know, it's like talking. It's like living and breathing. They tweet. But uh, you know what? Well, but, but, this is, but this isn't just a generational thing, though, either. This is a you are doing your job. Why, you know, that's fine. Do this. You know, do it 10 minutes later is fine. But really, like, during games in the aftermath of a loss within five minutes, I mean, you know, you even have, like, a 10-minute cooling-off period before the media comes in to give you a chance to compose yourself. Well, now players are responding within that 10 minutes before the media even gets in. They're scrolling, yeah. They're scrolling as soon as they get to their locker. And I would disagree with you on this, Kevin. Every major league team, every NFL team goes through social media training where guys, we're 50, and we have to figure all this stuff out on our own. Guys see presentations. They hear from people. They are far more educated about the pluses and minuses of social media than we are. And for them to fall into that trap of saying, well, I'm going to check what people had to say about my game immediately, that's, that is just a lack of focus. It is a lack of focus. But I'll say this. If people are going to be tweeting while they're on the highway – then I don't I don't know that I see that it's a big difference with them tweeting in a locker room. Well, there was breaking Rangers news that day. <laughs> yeah, all right. All right. <laughs> Boys, I, I th- David, I think we have to thank you for being with us, but we we ex- don't have to thank we do. We we do thank we, you. We we do that. have to thank we thank you. We have to thank you. Yeah, well, thank you for us. the Thank you for that not being an obligation. And, and I please, appreciate uh, that. Please it go makes, out, makes it much more sincere. Please dash yeah. out to your mailbox to see if the check is in the mail. Actually, David, week. Barry will save you one of these stale Chips Ahoys for, for a later <laughs> point in time. You're not getting one, Evan. Don't, um, tr- don't try to denigrate them so you can get one. You're not. It's not happening. But I hope everybody will tune in next week for to hear what kind of cookie Barry has brought into the... Uh, Barry, you are our cookie lady. I'm cookie You're talk. our cookie lady. I'm bringing back cookie talk, one of the greatest things in the history of Rangers TV that we no longer have well, we will start having cookie talk again and for now david thank you so much we will talk to you hopefully again very soon hey and tweet me this link okay <laughs> i will thanks be well all Bye. right all right everybody we're gonna get out of here for this week we uh 
Uh, hopefully, we'll have a Thanksgiving week episode if Kevin's not in Arkansas and Barry's not on I'm Miami here. Beach. Um, but thanks again for listening, and we'll see you soon.